Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Uh, today, I actually am going to be talking about freedom. Uh, I know it is a little on the nose because America and freedom and Fourth of July um, but I, I've been wanting to do a series on, on freedom uh, anyways, and so we're going to be doing a series on freedom this month uh, for July, and uh, so we're going to be preaching and teaching uh, out of the Word uh, on freedom, and I, I just want to kind of give a little insight to something that I believe is important for the mountain as far as us, a church, to understand about ourselves, uh, and that is that uh, this community, like the neon sign over here, love Jesus, love people. And it's a really powerful part of our, our, our core values. It's a, pow- a powerful part about how we approach community, how we approach outreach, and all these different kinds of things. And by the way, Roz did an awesome outreach yesterday with the team, Steve Sandy, the whole gang. We've got a really amazing crew that reaches out still once a month on Saturday. So if you want to get involved in those things, it's just awesome. They do a great job. Uh, and... Uh, it's like all out of their heart, too. It's, it's not something I manage or I run or this church dictates. It's out of their hearts, and we just support it and bless it, and it's really amazing. But you see love uh, of Jesus and love of people. This is the core and the heartbeat for our community. But there's another ingredient of our value system that shows up often, and it's this mountain mover's identity and value that we have. Uh, and when you think about moving mountains, uh, you think about a place of being really powerful, uh, faith like a mustard seed, and you can move mountains. You could tell it to go from here to there, and it will. Uh, you can cast it into the sea. That would be really interesting. Uh, but there's this power that comes in moving mountains. Um, but we've also identified in this mountain-moving aspect is that powerful, powerful acts of God in our life move mountains of bondage, of intimidation, uh, move mountains of you know, similar to where the Israelites were on the threshold of the promised land. There's giants in there. They're intimidated by them so they don't go and take the land. So we've identified that actually in this core value of moving mountains, we see a lot of freedom. And we see a love for freedom. And we see a desire for us as Christians and people to partner with other people being free as well as ourselves. And so this freedom ingredient in our community is really fun. Um, it's not atypical to who I am as a person in Jesus. I grew up as a pastor's kid. Uh, so uh, there's, there's a lot of things you experience as a pastor's kid. And one of the things I find to be really great is that you come into contact with all of the law. <laughs> you come into contact with all of the religious spirits. You come into contact with all of religion. And you also come into contact with a lot of Jesus a lot of God's presence, and a lot of beautiful things. So you get this really awesome, contrasting experience growing up in church culture, which is exciting because then you get to see the goodness of God and the pain of religion. And and, and if you're really breaking the right way as a pastor's kid, you fall in love with Jesus, and you fall in love with the life of Jesus, and then you see it create holiness, righteousness, and freedom in your life. And that's an exciting thing. It's part of my testimony. It's part of the story of my life. And it's something I love and I'm really passionate about is a love for Jesus, authentic, and a uh, love for the freedom that's found in Jesus. So we're going to start there because I wanted to create this paradigm understanding today of freedom. 
and that we're not just talking about any old kind of freedom. We're talking about freedom in Jesus. Freedom in Jesus may be different than what some people would want freedom to be. And when we're choosing to walk with God, when we're choosing freedom in Jesus, it doesn't look like being lordless. It doesn't look like being godless or having no uh, commitments or connections. It doesn't look like the absence of a no. It just looks like a really, really powerful yes. So I think when we are walking with God, we must understand that while we are free from sin, we are not free from righteousness. And some would want a life with Jesus to allow them to do whatever they want to do. But this is not how relationship with Jesus works. This is not how freedom in Jesus works because you're freed from sin, but you're freed for righteousness. So we must understand that if you're really understanding freedom well, it's not no connection, no strings attached, no bonds, no covenants. It's actually breaking bondage with sin and choosing covenant with God. Okay, so let's read some scripture here so we can dive right into the word right away and understand what's happening in this place. Romans 6 is a great chapter altogether for you to study on this lifestyle And so we're going to start in Romans 6, 6. And it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. As we're talking about freedom today, you might identify a pattern. And the pattern will be uh, who and or what is your slave master? Who is dictating or determining your actions, your future, and your decisions? When you, when you talk about freedom, you must have a conversation about the power effect in your life. Who holds the power? What holds the power? And when you're free in Jesus, it's, it's allowing yourself to remove the power from everything else and give it to Jesus. So you see this effect. This, you were enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay, so what happened here? Jesus is the way maker for us, which is that he died and rose from the dead. So we, in our personal journeys, trying to find freedom and walk out freedom from all things sin, all things lustful passions, we recognize that we go through a similar pattern that Jesus did. Not death to our physical bodies, but dying to ourselves and becoming alive in Christ. It's the same pattern, and it's the same access point that we get to walk into because Jesus earned the way for us. He made the way for us, which is very foundational to the death and resurrection of Jesus. You probably know this part of it, but it's important that we understand that when we are walking out freedom, it's not a disconnect to everything. It's a disconnect from the power of sin in our life. And the reason why I like to make this really clear is that because when we have lustful passions, when we have fleshly desires, sometimes we want to justify them in a Christian lifestyle. But I would really, really warn you against trying to justify your 
fleshly desires and bring it into the fold of your Christian walk. It's not good. The old man was supposed to die. All of his desires and his sinful passions, they were supposed to die. And you're supposed to walk in the fullness of Christ. And this paradigm shift allows us to understand that freedom is not doing whatever I want, but freedom really looks like perfect obedience to Jesus. And that might be weird. That might even be like a not American concept of freedom, right? But, but it's important that we understand that freedom biblically is not a, a, a nationalistic perspective of freedom. It's not some kind of, uh, some kind of uh, criminal's perspective of freedom. I can do whatever I want, take whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. But freedom in Jesus is very much supposed to be a biblical concept. In Romans 6.16, it says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? If you and I really want to understand what it means to be free, it means to be perfectly obedient to Jesus. Why are you and I not perfectly obedient to Jesus at times? Can you identify why you have lapses of disobedience or you choose wrong? It's because if you really look closely, you're ensnared to another power. You're drawn away by another temptation. There's a thing that entices you. There's a thing that ensnares you, enslaves you, pulls you away. We describe it as like, oh, I really, oh, I just, I really wanted to. We describe it as desire when we do something that's not godly or not holy, or we describe it as some kind of desire that's rooted in lustful ways or some kind of desire that's rooted in anger. Like, I just couldn't stand it anymore. Or I just had to. And so we describe it differently, but all of it's saying the same thing, which is I, I, I pledged to another power. I subscribed to another origin source. I, I latched myself to a different thing, a thing of missing the mark, a thing of sin. And when we really understand what's happening here, then we go, okay, what has, what has stopped me from being free in Jesus is that there's still ensnarements and entanglements and enmeshments that I have in sin or fleshly desire. Isn't that fun to understand and recognize? I really like to recognize these places because if I'm really, really, really wanting freedom, then I understand in order for me to achieve freedom, it looks like God doing a greater work of breaking chains, breaking ruts, breaking bondage in my life that causes me or refrains me or refuses me to walk with Jesus. Anything and everything that stops you and I from spending time with Jesus, we should want it broken. It's freedom in Jesus. In Jesus. So if you think about that prepositional phrase, that preposition, ha fifth grade English, isn't that fun? Oh yeah, good, huh? In, is that right? If I'm wrong, don't tell me. No, <laughs> tell me after. So in, right, you're in. If you think about that as a container, you're in Jesus. So freedom is found when your residency is in Jesus. Freed from sin for intimacy with Jesus. For intimacy with Jesus. This is exciting and this is fun because then we can understand that every place of counterfeit intimacy we have, every place of lustful desire, 
every place of flesh-driven mindset is actually an invitation away from the house party of Jesus. There was times in high school, did you guys ever go to parties in high school? Sometimes? Some people don't want to confess. You threw them. Yeah, who's that? that's good. Yeah, Steve. Yeah, that's good. I can see that. So sometimes, you know, I was in high school and I remember I'd go from one party to another party and then I would regret leaving that other party. You know, have you ever had that happen to you? And you're like, oh man, it was so, so much more fun there. All my friends were there and why did I leave, you know? And, and sometimes we're in Jesus and we get drawn away and we get invited to this other house party. Let's call it the house party of rage. Let's call it the house party of sex. Let's call it the house party of uh, deception, lies, bearing falsehoods. Let's call it the house party of any degree of idolatry. Anything else that's just the house party of mammon or money and the love of money. Let's call it the house party of, of, <laughs> of infatuation. Let's call it the house party of fear. You know, you'd have to label what house party that you've gotten an invitation from and that you left that residency with Jesus as a result of. This is why language in the Bible is like drawn away, led into temptation. Uh, these are the pieces of language because it's, it's talking about a geographical disposition we have with Jesus, which is like, I'm in Jesus. Sweet. I love it. And then all of a sudden, you're like, why, why did I, why am I doing this? And you've got to trace it back. You've left residency with Jesus because another disposition of desire, another emotional sensation that is intoxicating to you led you away. Understand what your emotional dispositions are. Understand what your, what your mind allows you to go to in a place of temptation and failure. Understand these, not so you can condemn yourself, but so that you can understand what literally displaces you out of residency with Jesus. <clears throat> Sin and its pattern, it's, it's sometimes what we try and strive with or wrestle with. But I would encourage you to choose residency. Don't choose to fight sin. And there is a simple, there's a simple measure and a simple paradigm shift that I want to invite you to. That freedom is found in Jesus. The Bible says for, uh, in John 8, 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Okay, so there's freedom in Jesus. So when you are in Jesus, you are being freed and you are free. When you're out of Jesus, you are, by definition of Romans, when you are not submitted to Jesus, you are enslaved to sin. It's one or the other. Choose your master. In Romans 6.16, I'm going to read it again. It says it really clear. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? You're going to be dominated by either sin or by God. The, the reason why God is different is because he allows us to choose him rather than dominating us. See, this choice, this free will, it's a part of our divine created capability. We have free will. We have choice, which means that when I choose to be in Jesus, it wasn't something that he tricked me into or manipulated me to do. 
It was something that, yes, he invited me to, but he did not require or make me do it through some kind of God-powered manipulation. Which, isn't that interesting? Because God has the ability, he has the power, he has the influence to dominate us and overcome our will. This restraint in God should be recognized and it should be truly celebrated. Is that God, while he could trick you to follow him, does not. Isn't that amazing? This is like knowing the most charismatic, powerful leader around you, and that person does not manipulate or control you, but gives you powerful choice. It's rare. Most of the time, power corrupts. And when somebody has a place of power, they start enslaving people for their objective, their image, and their game. We've seen it a hundred times over in humanity. Good leaders with charisma and giftedness start in a good spot, and then all of a sudden, they get a lot of power and influence, and then it goes to the, to the toilet. But God has this, has this patience with us, this patience with us to invite us, to simply invite us. Revelation describes this part of the relationship as he's at the door of our life knocking, 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 and knocking. It's a perpetual, consistent tapping on the outside of influence on the outside of controlling what's inside of you or dictating what's inside of you. It's on the outside. Does God have the power to come in? Absolutely, 100%. And yet he doesn't. He doesn't come in until you and your choice say, please, please come in. Please have the full occupancy of my life. Please, please God, please live inside of me. And in this free choice, you invite him in and there is a responsiveness that must happen. You can't just invite Jesus to live in you and not respond with, now I will live in you. So John 15 says, well, abide in me and I in you. So it's really nice to think about Jesus living in our hearts, right? But then it's really challenging for us to hear that we have to take our life and we have to place it in Jesus, and we have to choose to live in Jesus and have our being in Jesus. And living in God is the exact antithesis to being enslaved to sin. This is why Paul's using this language here of, of being enslaved to righteousness. In, in Romans 6, 19, he says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. So even the reason he uses this word, slaves to righteousness, is because they're human limitations. It's a little bit of a rough way to describe what's actually happening here, but it is, it is because of our limitation that he communicated in this way. So the real full truth of this thing is, is for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Okay, Slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. This is the part people get tripped up on. You present. You present your life to Jesus. It gets yielded to a process that will eventually sanctify you. And when people get discouraged, they're like, man, I've been trying to submit. I've prayed that prayer 50 times. I gave my life to Jesus 60 times last month. I'm like, that's twice a day. That's pretty impressive. That's morning and night, baby. That's good. <laughs> Sandwich that day. <laughs> so if you die in your sleep, you're good. 
so when we go, I was like, what are you doing in your sleep that made you have to do that? He's like, okay, so present yourself as members. And if you're like, it's not sticking, I'm like, okay, look, it's a process of sanctification. It leads to righteousness. It leads to righteousness. I've talked to, I don't know how many people about their spiritual journey, and I've never once been uh, convinced by listening to their journey that their recommitments to God are just the same thing. Every single time there's a little bit of fatigue on the thing. Every single time there's a decay. Every single time there's a change, and it's good. It's good for this thing to have a decay rate of oscillating back and forth between committing your life to God and then running into the world and having all of these things. It's good that that pattern starts to lose its tastefulness. It's good that that lukewarm effect no longer has capacity or potential to perpetuate into your future. It's good. It's good. And if it breaks you real bad, then guess what? That's because you just got spat out. I'm in process with somebody right now where their life is at the absolute worst it's ever been. And I've been in partnership with them for years. And the conversations I just talked about about the other day, a bunch of times, I'm like, God, they're starting to sound the same. The conversations are starting to sound the same. I, I, I'm losing my hope in partnership. I'm losing my faith that this is going anywhere. And as I begin to pray about it, I began to see, and God began to show me patterns in my life that have annoyingly persisted. And they seem to have power in my life that felt eternal. But this is the deception of the enemy to lead you to believe that your sin is eternal. There's only one that's eternal. There's only one that endures forever. There's only one that could be said that is greater than everything else that's in the world. The one in you is greater than he that's in the world. So when you are led to believe the power of sin in your life is greater than the power of Jesus inside of you, you are believing a lie. And we must believe this about people we're partnering with as well because we are freedom creators in our partnership. We cannot believe the lie of the enemy that says they'll be there forever. Your your efforts are fruitless. Your efforts are fruitless. All of a sudden I I begin to feel and literally feel the enemy tempt me to disappointment, tempt me to believe in the narrative he was saying about that person's life. And while it was pragmatic to my mind, it was not eternal to the mind of Christ. See, freedom is in Jesus. And so, yeah, this person hasn't found the conviction to leave in Jesus or that he, hasn't, or he or she has not presented themselves to live in Jesus, but it can come. And when it comes, it will change everything. It will change everything. So how many invitations are you willing to get from Jesus to present yourself as a member and live in him? How many invitations are you willing to give others? Same relationship over and over again, over and over again, and not resorting to manipulation or control to try and get them there. This is where evangelism in the church really starts to get contorted. And when we lose faith that knocking on the door of somebody's heart is is our appropriate posture and we begin to meddle and we begin to open the door without permission and walk inside and go, hey, we need to change all this. See, when we take a position that Jesus is not taking, 
See, because he's knocking on the door. And if we open the door and barge in, we're like, hey, man, we got to change this life. It's broken. It's messed up. We do a thing that is not like Jesus. And so you're not going to bring the freedom of Jesus by stepping out of the influence of Jesus and trying to get somebody to Jesus. A broke down car is not getting you to Disneyland. It's just not. So when you try and use humanistic approaches to people to get them to Jesus, you didn't introduce them to Jesus. You introduced them to humanity's version of Jesus, which is religion. You try and birth somebody in with, you try and uh, have somebody born again from the mother of religion, it's not going to be Christ-like. It's going to be bogged down with the burdens of religion. It's going to have heavy shackles and chains all over their neck. Remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees and Sadducees? He goes, you put such heavy burdens on people. Such heavy burdens. He was talking about the law. You put this disposition of the law on people and it crushes them because they haven't found freedom in Jesus. One of the best things we can learn to do as a community is to give grace to people on their journey with Jesus. They're not going to be sanctified the next day. They're just not. They're still going to say wonky words. They're going to sometimes manipulate and sometimes they're going to be really super controlling. Sometimes they're going to gossip about you and you saved them. Well, Jesus saved them, but you told them about Jesus and got saved. It happens. Like the amount of times I see people stabbing each other in the back and being like, ah. it's going to happen. It's going to get, it, community's always bloody. It's always a mess. I've never found one community that wasn't I, ne I never found one youth group that wasn't a giant mess. I never found one community that didn't have messes in it, didn't have slights and hurts, offenses and bitterness. Like these scriptures wouldn't talk about these things, these messes in community if they didn't exist then and they exist now. And guess what? Check it out. We're pretty close to perfect in this community, but <laughs> next week we'll still be messy. Either we'll be messy or we'll become so legalistic that we make anybody that's not perfect have to get out. See, and freedom can never be found through obligation. Freedom can never be found through obligation or the threat of punishment. These things don't create freedom. It's just a different type of bondage. So our Christianity, our church culture can't be like, hey, just trade your nasty chains for our pretty chains. We bedazzled them. We say Jesus right before we say the really bound things. Jesus loves you. Do all these things because law. Romans 6.20 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You were free in regard to righteousness. I love this line because it's like the aim is freedom in Jesus, not freedom from Jesus. You are free from righteousness. If we don't paint an accurate picture of this thing, then we're just going to be selling people on this idea that to be a Christian means you get all of your lustly desires. It means that your fear gets pacified, you get accepted by everybody. This is not what, a, what freedom in Jesus looks like. Freedom in Jesus means that you are now bound by righteousness. You are committed to righteousness. You've yielded yourself to righteousness. To let go of pride means you are yielded to humility. 
to, to, to submit to Jesus, it doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you want. See, to be free in Jesus means that you are, you are choosing perfect alignment with Jesus. And any time you recognize or you discern you've stepped out of alignment with Jesus, you are motivated to get back in alignment with Jesus because of Jesus. So when somebody confronts you at, uh, in your place of sin or misalignment, the fact that we take issue to people's confronting us, look, even if they do it really messy, okay, that's fine, right? And you can handle that on a relational note. But if what they say is true about your misalignment, then do this. Before you take issue to their offensive way of confronting you, repair your alignment. Repair it. So if it's got 50 bones in it and just an ounce of steak, that's good. Then take that ounce of steak and go, okay, I see that. Okay, Jesus, let's make this right. You get aligned with Jesus and then you go talk to him about relationally how they approached you. You talk to him about, hey, did you speak the truth in love? Like, I saw what you said, but I'm going to just give you feedback. If you said it, which is even an ounce of love more or any love, it would have been so much better for me and it'll go better for others. A mature person can hear they're wrong in the wrong way. It's an immature person that requires you to, like a surgeon, thread the needle and say it just perfectly so they won't get offended. It's an insecure person that if you say the truth a little bit off or a little bit wrong, or you say the wrong trigger word, then they're just like, whoa, throw it all out. You're the worst. The church is the worst. Community is the worst. Relationships are the worst. Marriages are the worst. Kids are the worst. Grandparents are the worst. Anybody and everybody that can hurt me is the worst. I'm going to live in a silo isolated from everybody. Free in regard to righteousness. When you see a broken world right now, when we see this broken world, well, I, sometimes I wonder why we're offended by it. It, to me, is completely logical that somebody who's not in Jesus wants to be free from all righteousness. It's completely logical to me. Like, righteousness comes from a relationship with Jesus. Thus, if you aren't in relationship with Jesus, you want to be free in regard to righteousness. Because righteousness, when you don't have relationship with Jesus, is inherently prohibitive. Holiness, when you're not with Jesus, it's no fun. It's, guys, holiness is an absolute bore if you don't have relationship with Jesus. No free sex, no drugs, no crime. Like, if you don't have eternal life living inside of you, what's the point of that? What's the point of not giving in to every one of your lustful temptations? It's the joy of being in relationship with Jesus that drives us to want holiness because holiness keeps us connected. Holiness keeps us in this residency with Jesus. So I choose holiness because it's my safeguard to relationship. I choose holiness because it's the walls that are the house of me living with Jesus. See, a house can be a place that's super painful, triggering, and traumatic if you lived in a place of abuse, in a place of, of just domination by sin. Certain homes, you go back to them when you were younger, and you're like, whoa, look at all those triggers. I don't even want to step in that place. But when a home is beautiful, and it's filled with love, and it's filled with fathering and mothering, and it's filled with sacrifice for one another, when it's filled with the ingredients of Jesus, it's a place that's rich with connection. It's a place that's rich with joy and pleasure. So when you live with Jesus, it's a place that's in the presence of God, there's pleasures forevermore. 
Why are holiness and righteousness things that we love to cultivate in our life and relationship with Jesus? Because our joy is in Jesus, not our lustly desires and the fulfillment of those. I believe it's important for us to recognize that inside of each of us, there's this weak flesh part that wants to actually be free from the restraints of righteousness. That wants to do what it wants to do, when it wants to do it, and how it wants to do it. Has anybody seen that disposition inside of them? There's times, and maybe you restrain it, suppress it, you use some spiritual discipline to get rid of it. You tell your wife about it, and you're like, hey, help me. Please, Obi-Wan, help me. This is, this is real inside of us. And you got to see that there's this war that's being waged inside of you, flesh and spirit, flesh and spirit. And the flesh wants what it wants. It's weak. And it needs to be required to be submitted to Jesus. Present your members to Jesus. So when you're weak and when you want all the things that righteousness and holiness is saying, uh-uh-uh, uh-uh-uh, you didn't say the magic word. Jurassic Park reference. When it gets to that place, you've got to understand what you're supposed to do there. And you can't rationalize. You can't argue or debate with your flesh. You've got to present it to Jesus. You want to know a recipe for overcoming temptation? It's not mental. It's spiritual. Which means that you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. The blood of the Lamb. So you align yourself with Jesus. The blood allows you, it drips down on you in this effect. And allows you to overcome these fleshly dispositions. You want to know where your energy or power comes from to overcome things that you couldn't have overcome without Jesus? It comes from Jesus. So when you're in that place of deep weakness, present yourself to Jesus. Present yourself as a member, presenting himself to Jesus, saying, here I am. Here I am. And this is one thing I want to encourage a little bit more of in our community too, is people around us can be like Jesus with skin on. I, I, I promise you this effect is really beautiful. There are people in my life that I know are godly people, there's people in my life that I know will speak the words of God to me, not what I want to hear, what my flesh wants to hear so it could do what it wants to do. You should know the people in your life that coax and pet your flesh. And you should know the people in your life that confront your flesh and encourage the Spirit of God in your life. And don't allow deception to seep into this place and let leaven leavens the whole loaf. You should know the people in your life that will go, that's leaven, let's get it out. And you should trust them. You should trust them to call out the sin. You should trust them to call out the deception, the brokenness. And you should even try and get yourself caught. When you see a little leaven starting to seep in there and you, and you recognize it and you want to hide it, do the opposite of what Adam and Eve did. Run out from behind the bush naked and be like, I'm naked! I'm naked! Someone help! Right? Adam and Eve hid when they had this place of sin. Oh, when they recognized their nakedness. Do the opposite in, in a place of sin. You want to break the effect of this enticing fleshly desire? You want to be free from it? Bring it into the light of relationship. I can't tell you how many times my wife, Jess, and I, right there, there you go. I can't tell you how many times I went up and talked to her and I said, sweetie, there's something I'm dealing with and I got to tell you about it. And guys, Spiritually, after that, it was so dramatic a difference. So dramatic a difference. It's biblical. Confess your sins unto one another so you may be healed. There was healing. There was this breaking of the power of darkness and sin that really thrives in a place of secrecy. It thrives in this place. You know why it thrives? 
Because pride, self-sufficiency is the fuel to sin. It's the fuel to sin. How do we break pride? How do we do this? We present ourselves in submission to God. This is an anti-pride path. You're never going to get there if you're trying to be self-sufficient. If you're like, I could do this, I could do this, I could do this. No, stop. You can't. You can't. It's okay. Without him, you're a gossiper. You're resentful. You hold grudges. Without him, you're an angerholic. Without him, you're an adulterer. Without him, you're like go down, you're a murderer. Go down the list. And if you're talking about the Jesus standard, oh, this is easy. You have anger in your heart towards something, murder. You see, you look at another woman when you're married, oh, lost adultery. Ah, this standard is wild. I've been saying wild a lot, guys. It really has been working for my life right now. You ever find adjectives that you just fall in love with and they're so accurate to your life at that moment? Oh, this is awesome. Narrative was one that I caught way early in being the pastor of the mountain. I would love it if somebody, I mean, I think Daniel, where are you at, Daniel? Daniel will do a great job of identifying all of the adjectives. I had. She always brings it up. She's like, you know, you're saying this word a lot. And I'm like, ah. immediately eradicate it from my language. <laughs> When you, when you find yourself in Jesus, there is this really interesting thing that takes place is that the enemy tries to tempt you away from residency. You get invites that when the enemy's doing a really good job in your life, it looks good. It looks good. This job, this state, move, uh, this friend, this relationship. Oh man, I, how many times have we seen people in relationship, even in our own lives, is a thing looked good in the moment. It met an emotional need we had. And then we come to find out as it starts to fully manifest, that wasn't God's heart or voice for us at all. And we're like, how did I even get here? How did I even get to this place? I never passed out or got passed out drunk. Uh, I never actually drank in my life. Did you guys know that about me? I've never drank. Well, yeah, but can I tell you, got to let you in on a little secret, guys. <laughs> I might get in trouble for this, but way at the beginning of my relationship with Jess, we were dating, and we got in an argument because, do you guys want to hear about it? <laughs> it's all playful now, so we're good, but this was years ago, like 13, 14 years ago. I was like, yeah, did you know this about me? I, I know I messed up in all these other horrible ways, and I've told you about them, uh, but small note on my resume is I never drink. And uh, she's like, that's your only note. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but when we started talking, I was like, well, have you? And she's like, well, no, no. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. She said, well, there was this one time I tasted this fruity little drink or whatever. I was like, oh. Oh, so you drink. She's like, no, 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 I took a sip. I was like, interesting. And I literally, I went to the definitions in Webster's. I was like, to take a sip is to drink. And oh, man, we argued about it for like two hours plus two weeks. <laughs> like it was plus a while. It was wonderful. fun, Wasn't it fun eventually? Fun times. Yes, fun times. But, but all of this to say and all of this dynamic is, is oftentimes we want to think of freedom as I get to do what I want. But if I can paint a really accurate picture of freedom, it just looks like submission to God. That could have been the whole message. I could have just said that line. It was over. 
would that be fun one day if I just said one really, really place line and it's just like, all right, guys, let's go to lunch. We got breakfast out in the lobby. That'd be fun, huh? A one-sentence sermon. That would be that would be really fun. <laughs> Some people would like that too much. They'd be like, sounds good. <laughs> About time we had a 30-second sermon. <laughs> That's, it's more funny to me than it should be. Um, if we could have our communion friends come up, uh, we're going to, do you guys want to hold the trays? I guess you don't really have to. I mean, we have people come up and hold them, but we probably don't actually have to because they're held by the table. <laughs> but let's have people come on up anyways and say hi while people are coming up, praying. If you guys need prayer for anything, we're going to receive communion and we're going to pray together. If you guys could stand with me, really love you guys. So grateful for this community. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.